The following podcast may contain strong language and is not suitable for all houseplants. Welcome back to the Better Left Podcast, everybody. My name is Sarah Smith. I'm a former congressional candidate from Washington State's 9th Congressional District, and I am your host for the podcast. I am joined by my three wonderful co-hosts, Troy, hello, Corn, and Bill. What's up? And we are very excited to just kind of jump right in. And then we've got our two producers who are waving at me. We have Andres and Jay who are doing production for us today. They're doing our soundboard. And without them, this whole podcast wouldn't be possible. So I should show them more deference and forget them less than I do. Thanks, guys. Um, (laughs) They're so good that we just don't know they're here. That's when you know they're doing their job. Your podcast producer is amazing if you forget that they're there. It's counterintuitive. Um, So we're just going to jump right into our What the Bleep. And those of you that are new to this podcast and uh, haven't heard this segment before, before. We kind of just start off easy and we jump into a weird thing and then a thing that's kind of like, why is this happening in the world? Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to dip into our big news breakdown where we talk about the very controversial abortion bills that have just passed. And this week we have our um, interview with Sheree LaSalle, who is a former candidate for appointment for city council here in Seattle. And we talked with her for a little while. Wow, about and just some... a, like a candidate for world domination like mm-hmm. she is so good i don't have enough time to they go through all so of her yeah. i i don't have enough time to go through all of all of their all of their pedigree but you know Shrey is amazing so we've got a great interview with her me and bill did um and then we're jumping into our palate cleanser and our palate cleanser is where we talk about all these heavy things and we just need to do something weird and remind ourselves that we're human beings who can survive and have fun and have a good time and we are friends who love each other and love to do this podcast so yeah. let's get right into our what the bleep so I am going to lead with mine, and I'm going to tell y'all real fast, if you are a Game of Thrones watcher and you have not watched the most recent episodes, you should fast forward because my What the Bleep is about Game of Thrones. Uh, I Look, all of these pieces of news are very important, but I feel like there's a very important thing we need to discuss. Corn will not understand any of this because Corn <laughs> doesn't watch Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, or Star Wars. So if it's pop culture, Corn doesn't know about it. And Bill's... <laughs> Game of Thrones, but no Harry Potter, no Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Interesting. And I keep forgetting. You're, you're kind of like a pink C-3PO. So yeah. I mean, I keep I keep forgetting that he's he's Game of Thrones, but I always definitely keep forgetting that he's also deeply lactose intolerant. So. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't mention that on every podcast from now on, it's just like a thing. Down to the end of time. People yeah. who need to know more about Bill, they're like, oh, Always. Bill, the lactose intolerant one. <laughs> he actually walked around the other day. He was carrying a dairy diary. Oh, I knew it. Just keeping track. So uh, if this week's Game of Thrones episode was anything, it was super intense. And for some people loved it. Some people hated it. I personally am going to take the controversial step of I kind of liked it. And if you look back over the whole series, they kind of did tell you all this was coming. They kind of did set it up for dinner. I have not Mad seen Queen. it, but I did see because the Internet is dark and full of terrors. <sighs> I did see a screenshot of garb that yeah. I went, oh, Yeah, kind of put it all together. Good. So those who have been paying attention know that Jamie Lannister, played by the absolutely incredible Nicolas Coster Waldo, um, got crushed in the basement of the Red Keep with Cersei, and he died in the arms of a woman he loved, which is what he told Bronn he wanted to do. Except here's the thing: put on your tinfoil hats, bitches, because there's a chance that he's not dead. (laughs) I've watched soap operas. Yeah, it's oh, this is definitely yeah. It got really like. 
definitely soap opera writing towards the with end. With some <laughs> dragons and, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like soap opera with dragons. Yeah. Um, so the reasons why, there were um, five of them, and a person shout out, hat tip to Weezer Flowers 2 on Tumblr, who pointed out their five points and told me to gear up and put my tinfoil hat on. <laughs> so um, all of the Game of Thrones characters, main characters who have died recently, have shared, they've all commemorated each other's deaths. They've been like, oh, you know, it was wonderful working with you. Thank you so much, Rip. No one has done that for Nicolas Coster Waldo's amazing, versatile portrayal of the tortured hero, Kingslayer, Jamie Lannister. Really good character. Yep. Really great actor. Super great. Handsome man. Oh, yes. Um, and then the other thing is when he posted his uh, selfie with uh, Lena Headey, who plays Cersei Lannister, his oh, sister great. slash lover. Um, Slover, I think, is what Yes. He didn't say goodbye to the character he's played for the last eight years, which is very weird because they all said goodbye to their characters. Oh, a break from tradition. Yeah, okay. very weird. And then there's a guy, James Hibbard, who is uh, he writes for Entertainment Weekly, and he is doing interviews with all of the actors whose characters are killed off. And someone asked about when his Nicolaj interview is coming out, and he said, Thanks, I'm holding on to that one for a bit. Oh. Well, I'm just going to be in the Jamie's dead category. I am team right. Jamie is alive because I need this. Let me I, have I'm this. I'm team. I'm girding up to be the meat shield for how many people are going to be like, <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. But by the time you have listened to, no, no, here's the deal there's the rule, and here's our rule. We talked about the spoiler rules. What is the rule? So spoiler rules for TV, especially big TV shows like Game of Thrones, are you have to wait three days and then you can start spoiling it. Because if you, you hear can't, that? If you three can't find days. an hour and 20 minutes and three days to watch that show, that's on you. You and, can't, yeah. Well, and she she telegraphed yeah. too. She's like, you, you can leave. Mm -hmm. and, but so we, we've given so we've done a all that. And, and, the, and, and we'll the introduce work. the podcast and we will have it up, you know. So just I want everyone to know <laughs> you will have been able to read it. <laughs> you heard it first. And... If you chose, yeah, if you chose not to follow those rules or not to understand how we play, that then- That's your fault, That's on you. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to say, even though I have no idea about any of this, <laughs> I'm in team He's Alive. Thank yeah. you. Just no, yeah. with the knowledge you have. Yes. So Yeah, well, you're a connoisseur of fine yes, pop culture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Korn is our uh, reality TV mm -hmm. guru, and I am the um, big name- fandom culture guru i guess <laughs> you, you gotta drop a bomb at the end i mean that's yeah what you're gonna do right yeah yeah, yeah. you're a study of yeah. that a student mm -hmm. of uh of how you make how you kind of milk the tension and we've we've talked about bombs. uh we've <laughs> yeah. talked about lucy lucy apple juicy on this yes. podcast yes if you have any questions about real housewives send it my way um i can answer any of those for you it's my favorite twitter name ever when i saw lucy lucy apple juicy and i was like who's that oh wait i know because you got your is it your cowboy, cowgirl picture? What picture is it? It's the, just a picture of me. No, it's just a normal hat? picture. You have the one that's like a weird uh, oh, filter. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that was a... Um, so on Snapchat, you can do where it like swaps part of your face. Yeah. So I swapped with this guy called Redneck from a show called Tanked Unfiltered. Yeah. It's, it's on Animal Planet, if y'all are familiar. Huh. Um, yeah, and it just it, it created a really beautiful picture. Oh, nice. it's great. It's super good. Yeah. You look like a weird... Yeah. Tall baby with a <laughs> yeah. man-sized head, and it's, it's yeah, it's, I love it. Yeah. yeah, so that's my that's my what the bleep, and that kind of made me go, oh my god. So I guess you know, Bill has been sitting on his for a little while, and uh, it's something that I think is very important. And, and we're, we're gonna take a little bit of a darker turn, a little bit not us. a little oh. bit more macabre on this one. All right, Russian so, dreams. Hit me, the, Bill. The title says it's a two-part title, and it says, "Want to decrease suicide? 
raise the minimum wage, researchers suggest. Now, let's break that down real quick. God. Want to decrease suicide? I am always going to be in favor of that. Yeah. yeah. Generally, it's our principle yeah. as a podcast that we are behind that. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, the the uh, journalist uh, Megan Cerullo uh, says that there was a recent study by the National Bureau of Economic Research that concluded that by increasing a minimum wage by 10%, there was a reduction in uh, high school suicide and adults uh, of 3.6%. And that a 10% hike in the earned income tax credit of federal subsidy for low-income families reduces suicide among uh, the same group by 5.5%. So increasing both measures by 10% uh, would prevent a total of about 1,230 suicides per year. Okay, just real quickly, can we just say now this is how, how bad our policymakers have failed because... They are saying, if we just tinker at the edges of this one policy, a thousand or more people next year will not kill themselves. Yeah. That's an utter failure. Utter failure. It's our baseline. Yeah, and that's my question. So first, um, it's interesting, the investment of time that we give and the money and the resources and the very smart people to say, hey, if people can afford to live, maybe they'll be happier. Um, this is shock. Um, right. Yeah. The other shock. piece of this, too, is the idea. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you, Bill, um, the research backing that and some of the because sometimes correlation causation and, you know, all of that stuff is not necessarily that easy to tie together. Um, what do you know? Can you speak to kind of off the top of your head why this is tied together? And I mean, outside of the fact that, uh, as you know, any just simple minded person like me, give people more opportunities to be able to live well, their life. I, I, guess, I guess actually the biggest thing is like, man, it's just this. This is presented by CBS News as a legit news story as like, I guess positive news i don't really know See, because it's kind of like so as far as like the what you're talking about would be kind of the methodology of the study and like statistical stuff so I, i'm not i don't think i think we should dig into it just because I, I i it's only because it's very easy for anybody listening to go ah oh, then you know communists of which i don't think any of us are Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Troy. Why wouldn't you? Well, but, no, uh, well, actually, and the, so one reason I would say that it's a, it's a, a kind of th this is just a policy failure on a on a pretty significant uh, scale is uh, because generally when we when you're talking about raising a minimum wage, you're talking about I think the minimum wage covers about one percent of the workforce, right? Uh, so to to have to, to raise the minimum wage 10%, you're talking about raising the wages 10% for 1% of the workforce. I get that that's a good thing, but the fact that we've got any percentage of the workforce who's working uh, all year or, or just, let's be honest, we have just a segment of our society that is killing themselves because they're isolated. Yep. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's it comes down to like, the the real crux of this whole article is people are so poor and depressed that they are taking their own lives rather than continue to live. And if we give people a wage where they can afford to feed themselves and take care of their families and invest in the society around them and be a real part of their own society, they won't kill themselves. That's a thing we needed a study for. 
This is totally normal stuff. People are poor and it sucks being poor and they are sad because they are poor and they are literally preferring to take their own lives. And it's a myth to say that people are poor because they're just lazy and and not worth. Yeah. And this is talking about raising the minimum wage 10%. And so nationally the federal minimum wage is i think it's about seven dollars yes. like 725 right? so that means raising it 70 cents yeah. yes That's not 70 cents what we need to do is double the minimum wage mm-hmm. at least or and, triple. and, and think yeah. of how much of an impact that could make in people's lives if we're saying that raising it 70 cents can save all these people and can corporations take the bullet and just not mm-hmm. say oh well we got to do the thing and then suddenly you can't afford because you got the raise and and you're paying more for goods yeah. and services and i'm just just gonna hit on one thing I, 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 just, I just seen Andrew Yang's uh put out earlier today or somebody was quoting something about him and um you know he's just like you, you have a lot of these politicians who are talking about how wages stagnated in the 70s how inequality is you know at levels we haven't seen in a hundred or more years uh you know how it's kind of distorting our very notion of society and reality and then they then those same politicians would be like oh and to fix this staggering inequality we just need a 10% increase on the earned income tax credit and a marginal increase on minimum wage. So to combat 40 years of class war by the billionaires on the population, now the billionaire-owned Congress is just saying, give them a little bit more bread and a few more pennies. A few, Let them eat cake. Little, Let them eat little cake. Bit more, a little bit more bread and a couple of circuses and they'll be fine. That was the approach Asian Rome took to it. But like, this is this is real. But when we talk about things like people are suffering and dying because of minimum wage and and class inequality and income inequality, that's this bad. We're not making this up. This is real. It is so bad for some people that they'd rather die than be here and not in like a Twitter way, but they'd rather die than be here in a real like a real tangible way. And this is because of 70 cents. Mm -hmm. For real, that's where we are at, though, in how deep this income inequality wound goes. 70 cents makes or breaks people's life. And, and oh, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to answer what you were talking about earlier, which is exactly what the study looked like. Um, so it says, focusing on the years 1999 through 2015, the researchers relied on the Center of Dis- Disease Control um, and Prevention data showing that the cause of death demographics, including age, education, and state residence uh, between those years, um, and they compared the number of suicide and drug-related deaths in those states that had those changed economic policies. So the CDC is phenomenal their research is super solid and people can do whatever they need to do to get over their tinfoil hat like cdc contrails and flat earthers Mm -hmm. or whatever it is don't have time for it um that's the important stuff so and just for a little gallows humor oh really um (laughs) a a little the 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 there are two stories in this uh, it's like a tabula like news feed at the so at the bottom of news stories they populate your stories with other stories you know and the top two the two they populated with with, is a picture of mark zuckerberg it says facebook now paying 18 dollars an hour to block suicide videos and other disturbing content and right next to that is a smiling picture of Jeff Bezos, <laughs> world's richest man, is about to get richer. This is poetic <laughs> irony at its finest. It's unbelievable. This uh, is our world. Let him eat cake, boys right? and girls. Let, let him eat, eat cake. cake. We need to uh, get that guy on the show. What's his name? Gil um, Oteen. 
Uh, yeah. Panamet Kirkensis, that is the Latin for bread and circuses, just so everyone knows. Look it up. Yeah. So that uh that about wraps up our what the bleep for this episode and rolls us right into the slightly more darkly depressing topic of our big news breakdown. I don't remember the noise that old news thrills make. <laughs> We're we all a newsreel a... and corn's like a heart monitor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. E- no, but this is like a what the bleep too, really. This really sure, is. Yeah. At, but this is like this word. is yeah. big news breakdown is like a really long, more depressing what the bleep. That's why we need to do like a real cheery um, jingle. This one on this week's episode, I know that we all have heard about it, seen it, all that stuff. Um, I put a long Twitter thread together about the uh, the bigger implications of this, but we're going to be talking about um, the abortion bills in Ohio, Alabama, and Georgia that ban abortion after six weeks. So AOC put it really well. Six weeks is one missed period. And if you are a woman who has ever been under stress, that ain't enough time for shit. Yeah. You, I didn't, the first time it happened to me, I miscarried uh, when, when I was younger in my early 20s and I didn't know until I was eight weeks along. That's the average. The average for women is eight weeks. Or if you're on continuous birth control where you don't have your period. That's me now. Yeah, you wouldn't even know. Wouldn't, I mean. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, this is this is part of the thing. And like, just to kind of put some humanism into this, I'm I'm going to get very, very personal. So I'm sorry if this triggers anybody or upsets anybody. Um, but first of all, I'm going to start by saying we at this table and in this podcast, every person in the studio unequivocally, without question, absolutely 100 percent believes in a woman's right to choose and yep. her total bodily autonomy. Yeah. Yep. So let's lay that out there. But to humanize this, one of the arguments we get from conservative pundits and lawmakers is that you could just walk into abortion clinics and get an abortion like you go to the grocery store and buy like you know oreos and then go home and watch a movie that is not how it works and given that there's a six-week limit you would think that these people who are against abortion they would want women to have time to think about these decisions and not have to make a snap choice of i need to get in there before six weeks um giving women time to to make that choice yeah exactly and this is like i keep saying it's not a snap decision this is this takes a lot and like on twitter i talked a little bit about it so i want to i want to make it very clear I have gone out of my way to make sure I have become educated on Judith Jarvis Thompson's defense of abortion during the Roe v. Wade case. And the thing about abortion is uh, Roe v. Wade is not about abortion. We've just allowed it to be painted in such a way that that's what we believe. Roe v. Wade is about bodily autonomy. That's not about abortion. That's literally, that's why we don't have to give up a kidney to anybody. That's why we're not obligated to give blood to somebody. That's why we're not obligated to give up skin to somebody or give give a kidney or, or a cornea to somebody. This is, it's because of Roe v. Wade, because it it defined the limits of bodily autonomy. And it defined what we can and cannot say no to medically. And so that is the significance of Roe v. Wade. It's not about abortions practically at all. And I'll get into that in just a sec. But I know Troy's got some points. He's going over some good stuff. To, that's that's really relevant to all this. Well, I, I just wanted to actually say for the both of you, um, it's often very difficult for men to find their place in this conversation because there are so many of them that will come at people with an incredible aggressiveness about their opinions specific to what women should do or should not do. And it's been... Like as you described your experiences as we unpack these things, um, it takes a 
I am sickened that you have to go into these details to prove validity. And I am here to say that, that just to acknowledge how awful it is to have to say, oh, oh, great. Can we have people who have gone through physical, emotional, you know, all of the, all of the trauma that goes around that, but then relive it so that you can justify freedom. And I'm, I, I, sorry, I'm getting uh, emotional about this, but I really respect it in a really strong uh, way. It's, it's, um, yeah. I think um, something that men could do where they're not telling women what to do um, or making it seem like that. um, Talk about why this affects you. Because the thing is, is it is obviously a women's issue, but both men and women have sex and they both create pregnancy. And so it should be something that men should be talking about. And men have accountability. It doesn't happen without them. And, you know, whether that mean that your girlfriend or wife has had an abortion or just that, you know, that that protection is there for you as well. It's not just for the woman, but it's for both parties. And And if I see another not all men thing, just Mm -hmm. shut up. Mm -hmm. Just listen (laughs) and shut up. Yeah, agreed. But anyway, thank you. Oh, of course. And I mean, for for me, it's I've always been very open about my experiences as a person. So it really doesn't I I don't mind telling these stories and talking about these things. They're important. They matter. And I mean, you know, when I talk about abortion, I, I always try to couch it in terms of bodily autonomy and like to reframe it in kind of a way that's more digestible for people. Roe v. Wade, if we overturn it, what we do is we open the door because we don't have anything else governing bodily autonomy to back that up, to fill in that that void. And what can happen, and this is hyperbolic, but it, it probably isn't because a lot of things have felt hyperbolic yeah. but are actually like patronizingly and horrifically and yeah. terribly real. Um, we're sliding into a handmaid's tale and I'm like, why? Um, so one of the, the things to keep in mind too is um, – Judith Jarvis Thompson talks about all of this and she talks about it because it's about that bodily autonomy component. And if we remove that Roe versus Wade component to it, we very much we very likely could end up in a scenario where a rich person can say, I'm I have an unhealthy kidney and I want yours because it's healthy. And there's nothing they can take your kidney and there's nothing we can do about it. We can get all repo men genetic opera up in here. This is a real thing that could happen because we are going to lose bodily autonomy. And that's not just women. That's literally anyone with kidneys. And it's anyone with skin and anyone with eyes. This is if you have organs, if you have any kind of medical, medically desirable part of your body, we could open the door to a dystopian future where rich people can just buy whatever they want out of Well, and it starts by an investment by saying, hey, uh, you got two. Can I have one of those? Yeah. I'll, I'll pay a lot of money. Yeah. And this time, you don't even have to consent. They can say, I need your kidney. And you can't you can't do anything about it. Well, and I think the reason why that conversation isn't really taking place is because the people who are passing these laws, they aren't thinking about us as women with our own bodies. They're just thinking of us as vessels and um, our rights don't matter. And yeah, it's just really frustrating. Yeah. And I just say the people passing these laws in particular the theocrats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would say we were talking before the show and Sarah had a really good point. The best way to combat these theocrats, you know, would be to be extremely democratic and for women to not just, you know, to 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 seek these seats of local power 
and to legislate for themselves mm-hmm. and for the rest of society because clearly the people writing these laws are not looking out for the best interests of women. And even if you aren't ready to run for office, uh, if one of these people are in your represent or they're one of your representatives and they voted for this, start looking for someone who will challenge them. Volunteer for whoever's campaign that's going to be. Yes. Uh, donate to their campaigns yep. um, because we can talk about all these things, but the action and it's specifically when it comes to voting these people out is what we have to do. The best way to get laws written about your body in the way that you believe yourself and all women deserve is for you to take up that charge and run for office. And women have to be asked an average of seven times. So I will literally ask seven times, run for office, 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 run for office. office. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, run for office. But I mean, the thing that I want to break down is so I keep going back to Judith Jarvis Thompson, right? A defensive abortion because she was the rock star that made this happen. And she wrote her whole piece out on why and what her defenses were. It is I've my partner and I have gone through it. It is very dense. It is very long. And you will fall asleep every third sentence. If you've ever read Hyperion by Dan Simmons, it's like that kind of level of sci-fi density. Uh, It's a lot. But I just want to. So here's so this is a piece of it that I'm just going to lift and just read verbatim. Um, So assuming the personhood of the fetus, the anti-abortionist argument proceeds thus. Every person has a right to life. So the fetus has a right to life. No doubt the mother has a right to decide what shall happen what shall happen in and to her body. Everyone would grant that. But surely a person's right to life is stronger and more stringent than the mother's right to decide what happens in and to her body and so outweighs it. So the fetus may not be killed. An abortion may not be performed. This is uh, Judith Jarvis Thompson's response. She responds with the thought experiment. And this is a way to, this is a thing I've said a lot in the past to rephrase this argument to people. You can, you can ask my partner. Jay will be like, yeah, she says all the time. Um, So you wake up in the morning and you find yourself back to back in bed with a famous but unconscious violinist, a famous unconscious violinist. He has been he has been found to have a fatal kidney ailment and the Society of Music Lovers has canvassed all the available medical records and found that you alone have the right blood type to help all the people in the world. Just you. They have therefore kidnapped you. And last night, the violinist circulatory system was plugged into yours so that your kidney can be used to extract poisons from his blood as well as your own. If he is unplugged from you now, he will die. But in nine months, he will have recovered from his ailment and he can safely be unplugged from you. While it would be kind of you to let the violinist stay attached to your body, almost no one would think you are morally obligated to do so. This suggests that abortion is morally permissible in cases of rape. And she goes into a lot more thought experiments like this, but that's the reality of it. You are not obligated to any other person. Their right to life doesn't supersede your right to life. And this is a really important component to this argument, because when I keep talking about this, I keep harping on this bodily autonomy thing. I'm super annoying. Um, But it matters because the reason we're not forced into these medical positions is literally because of Roe versus Wade. It's not just about abortions, but the the conservative media has been very good at making you think that because I'm going to get a little tinfoil hatty right now. This all circles back to money, power, and special interest. They are exercising their power as wealthy people, their power as as men in office who have no idea what it's like to be a woman, to exert power over people that they believe are too weak to fight back. And the notion that they are 
just protecting the sanctity of life is, I find, false. The idea really is women are there to incubate and they are a vessel for the creation of a lineage. And why wouldn't over time it extend to you're a vessel for the thing that I broke in my own body and I'm rich and powerful, so I'm just going to extract it from you? And in addition to the potential of kidney snatchers, um, <laughs> um, the the other thing that they benefit from as well is they want to keep the gender roles the way they are. They, oh yeah, they want women to be held back. Wow, good um, point. You know, because the thing is, is when we have birth control and we get to choose what our destiny is and whether we're going to have children now, later, or never at all. Um, that makes such a huge impact in our lives and it empowers us and it allows us to make the career choices we want or the, or the choices with our families. And they don't want us to make those choices because they don't want to give up the power. They don't want us to be legislating. It's, it, it's kidney body, snatching yeah. and it's keeping us at home. Yep, it is. It is quite literally, I keep circling back to it is about power and it is about exercising abuse of that power. And I mean, we talk about this all the time on, on the internet and we always bring, see this argument come up in Facebook arguments. But this is also a really important facet to this. Think of how many kids that were born to parents who didn't get abortions are currently in our foster system who are homeless, who don't have families, who don't have people to go to. What about those kids? What about them? Aren't we doing a disservice to those children who could have been adopted by people who would have rather chosen adoption than birth? We are denying those children who are already here that, op that opportunity. And if you're going to tell a woman she must carry a fetus to term in cases of rape and incest, that is cruelty for the sake of cruelty. And you are putting that on her like it's her responsibility that another person in her life was a cruel piece of shit asshole. And how very dare you get in the way of a individual woman's consultations, needs, health-wise or other, that we have to start to split hairs. The idea that we would traumatize and re-traumatize and then say, sorry, no loopholes, is outrageous. And let's, like, if if there were just so many people ready to adopt and ready to foster, I mean, that's great. But even with that, why should I have to be forced to carry a child for you? And yep. why should I have to be forced to put my health at risk when I have health problems or medications that I yeah. wouldn't be able to take when I'm pregnant? Why? Yeah, exactly. And here's part of the thing that I really wanted to tweet yesterday, but I was like, this might be too inflammatory. Um, I'm second guessing that, so it might go out later today. But the reality of this whole situation is we're sitting here yelling about women's access to health care that they need, right? We're sitting here having conversations about the ability to get birth control, about the ability to get abortions. Why the hell are we discussing this and no one is talking about how come men can walk into an urgent care and get Viagra for like a year and nobody says or, or, or does it shit? online from an online doctor that doesn't even that's just like do you have an erectile you know like how's your penis okay here's some pills that they don't even go and see anybody it's ridiculous or they can get a vasectomy no questions asked when if we want to get our tubes tied it's like oh you're too young what if you want to have children Sarah, you'll change your mind Sarah was it you that like you know, what does your husband think 
Oh, yes. So at one point, this is 2017, folks, that I'm about to tell you. This is not 1990. This is not 1960. This is 2017 in Washington at an OBGYN in Covington. I got my birth control implant removed. I wanted to go back on the pill to have a little bit more flexibility um, with making any family decisions. And so I walked into the OBGYN's office. She started doing the exam. I told her what I wanted. I said, I'm here for birth control. And she makes a face and she goes, oh, have you have you talked to your husband about this? Oh, and gross. enraged, I said, gross. yeah, I have. And that's why I'm here to get birth control. And I told Jay and I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, do I yell? Because I'm ready to yell. He goes, just take the prescription and leave because this is not a conversation you want to get into in a doctor's office. And I'm like, OK, but that's 2017. Why the hell? Is that the conversation I have to have? But if a friend of mine goes to the doctor and asks for Cialis, they go, oh, here you go. Your dick's broken. Here's they don't pills. have to even go to the doctor. Just no. send an email. Yeah. I'm feeling a little flaccid. <laughs> Might you like fast track some stuff? And by the way, can also anything that takes care of women's menstruation needs, uh, any of that stuff, will let's luxury tax that stuff. It's a luxury to have your period and need a tampon. And we are tired as women. Our bodies are not a luxury. They are, we are human beings. We are not cattle. We are not show dogs. We are human beings who have bodily autonomy and who have the right to do and say with our own bodies as much as any man does. And we're really tired of being treated like basic human decency and basic access to basic hygiene is some kind of luxury for us. And so to wrap things up, um, it's really great to have these sort of discussions, but also we want to give you some action items that you can do. Um, so a couple different funds, if you do have any money that you can donate, um, Yellow Hammer Fund is a group in Alabama, and they provide funding for medical costs, transportation, and lodging for women. Um, so in Alabama, right now, there are only three abortion clinics. And so, so that's before all of this happened. Um, and I think that's something we really need to remember is even before there was legislation against abortion, um, access to abortion has been under attack for quite some time. Um, so Yellowhammer Fund, um, there's also Access Reproductive Care Southeast. They help with folks in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, and then the National Network of Abortion Funds, they're an umbrella organization. Um, so they help people throughout the United States. And then Troy, you have a couple things too. Yeah, one of the things that was really important for me was if I can't, maybe you can't volunteer the funds I think are really important. Like, you know, give, give some of your money. Maybe all you have is time because I think we've talked about this before. Volunteering is a luxury. It's a privilege. There are people who cannot do that. And so think upon the actions that you can take. One of the groups that I, um, I've got three and I'll read them really quickly. Um, reproaction.org. Uh, this is an organization that uh, is running a campaign to um, call for the end of prosecuting of abortion. Um, there's a lot of talk right now with the current legislation that's being passed that none of that is designed to uh, prosecute um, uh, end in prosecution uh, for women. Uh, but in reality, in Indiana, Virginia, Georgia uh, and other places, women are getting prosecuted. Um, this is a group, basically, they worked to uphold abortion rights and to advance reproductive justice as a matter of human dignity. I really like reproductive justice. Um, they've been around for, since 2015. Um, check them out, uh, reproaction.org. 
Org. Um, we've also got uh, the a National Abortion Federation. They're going to be at ProChoice.org. They have a whole list of actions that you can take and resources. Questions like, think you're pregnant? Um, you know, that education and advocacy. Um, they also work with healthcare professionals. And then um, go to ProChoiceAmerica.org. Choice, pro uh, check out the about. You know, they are um, the... Uh, one of the most that so the national association for the repeal of abortion laws huge advocacy group um but also this is stuff that i found in the course over the last couple days um deep dives and connecting with folks is what we want to do next but if you have a resource or you have an idea about action like let's all agree we agree and mm -hmm. get moving calling writing letters marching yep and I mean, so this kind of brings us to the end of this segment. Um, but I mean, you know, all people deserve the ability to self-determine yeah. for their bodies and no life prior is prioritized over another life regardless. And so we are very unequivocally pro-choice in this office and pro-bodily autonomy for all people, not just for women, but for everybody. And so we are going to wrap up on our very heavy big news breakdown mm -hmm. and we are going to move into an interview that we did earlier this week with Sheree Lascelles, who was a candidate for appointment to Seattle City Council. And me and Bill got to sit down and chat with her about her race and a bunch of stuff um and this is our uh, our better left interview segment where we believe this time it's better left to sheree All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We are now uh, sitting down with Sheree Lascelles, who was a um, candidate for appointment for Seattle's city council position four, right? Yeah, there was a vacancy when Rob Johnson stepped down. OK, cool. So we had a local city councilman, uh, Rob Johnson. He stepped down and then Sheree was in the mix to jump in and um, fight the good fight. And <laughs> I'm going to start with my typical lead in of making sure people recognize Local politics is important. And I know on this podcast, we talk a lot about Seattle politics, a lot about Washington, politi Washington politics, but I want people to know why. It's because things like state and local politics matter. You look at Georgia that are passing these anti-abortion laws. You look at Indiana that has a history of restrictive women's rights laws. They're able to do that because of state and local government. So when we talk about running for seats, don't just look at running for federal seats. Don't just think about yourself in terms of federal candidacy. Think about yourself in terms of your community. Can you serve on school board? Can you do things like serve as water commissioner, as dog catcher, if that's available to you? Can you do things like serve on city council? This is these positions matter as and we're just told that they don't matter because the establishment and powers that be don't want us to know how much these positions matter. But they're they're critical. So, Sheree, you ran for this position as an appointment seat. Um, what prompted you to want to run? Uh, honestly, uh, it was people in my community uh, literally sliding into my DMs and saying, hey, will you do this thing? Nice. That was literally what happened. So, it was literally sex workers in the community that I'd already been organizing with uh, that realized they knew where I live and they heard about this through the grapevine uh, through some orgs that uh, are a little bit more progressive um, in their friends groups. And they themselves, even if they lived in the district, didn't feel safe enough to do it, didn't feel like they'd have a viable chance. Um, so they asked me to. So talk a little bit more about your community. So what community was it that that was pushing you and leaning into you and saying, hey, you'd be great for this? The sex worker community. Yeah. Yeah. Sex worker community. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a real thing that is ignored. Uh, yes. If you're not really a part of it, you really don't know 
uh, what it, how big it is, how vast it is. Um, but uh, we say, especially when organizing with like SWAP and other uh, sex work outreach project, um, like factions, I guess, groups, charters, uh, that you know a sex worker. And the reason that you don't know they're a sex worker at the moment is because you are not presenting as an ally. Um, so the community uh, is such a vast uh, umbrella um, of like cam girls, strippers, porn stars, uh, people that do full service work or escorts, um, dominatrices. Uh, there's there's many different like even bikini baristas. That's, that's sex work. Um, so uh, you, you, you know one. And if you don't know that, you know, one, uh, it's because they don't feel safe enough to tell you. Interesting. So for anyone that's not familiar here, this was actually a new concept to me when I moved here were bikini baristas. Mm -hmm. So they are literally they work out of these little coffee houses um, on the side of the road dotted around the around the state. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they're literally just baristas who serve coffee in lingerie. In, yeah, in lingerie. Yeah. And so that's considered sex work. That's under the umbrella of sex work. However, it's not regulated as if it were sex work because we have very strict laws about where you can have uh, adult use uh, clubs uh, or venues of any kind so including like video stores uh strip clubs uh sex toy stores etc um but because of that extremely limited uh ability to open an adult use space um that's why this the state is completely covered in bikini barista stands because they people need an outlet uh for these kinds of interactions and uh, we have so few options that we came up with a new industry Nice. <laughs> so, I mean, this position itself. So we talk about um, sex work and sex workers rights and um, everything that falls into that spectrum. Right. What about this seat is important to the community? Great question. Um, well, it was important to the community because the U District uh, is in District 4 and it is the densest population. Um, and it also has most youth um, between like 18 and, and 25 in the in the city. Um, it also has the uh, largest epidemic of uh, homelessness populations that uh, travel through every year. And um, it also contains the Needle Exchange or People's Harm Reduction Alliance that uh, uh, serves drug users. Um, so there's a lot of intersectional populations in the U District, which is in District 4, um, that get completely ignored. Um, and there's also in the same district, one of the richest neighborhoods in all of Seattle, which gets most of the attention from uh, city council and municipal governing bodies in general. Uh, and nothing's really been done for the U district in in that district for the last, I don't know, decade. Um, they're sitting on bills right now to open up uh, safe injection sites. They're sitting on uh this recommendation from a recidivism and reentry program work group that they did last year saying that they need to completely strike uh, loitering laws for loitering laws for prostitution and loitering for drug uh, sales uh, off the record and get them get rid of them altogether. Um, and they haven't acted on those recommendations yet, um, but it heavily impacts people in the U district because there is a lot of homeless people and there's a lot of people engaging in sex work and there's a lot of people uh, that go there for services as drug users for harm reduction. And um, it's just making the problem a lot worse in all those communities. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's that's why it's an important seat. Okay, uh, well, you mentioned injection sites. I was just gonna see if you could expand on that a little bit, just kind of explain what they are and what the kind of goal of an injection sites are. Um, okay, so first I have to redefine that. I use safe injection sites specifically because um, that type of uh, drug use, um, or that method to you know consume certain drugs is, uh, it requires kind of a sterile environment to be safe. Um, 
but um, they've pretty much been renamed to safe consumption sites because that's not the only way for people to use drugs. Um, but generally, safe injection sites are spaces that are continued, like are sterile, that are being monitored um, while people are using drugs in them um, to make sure that there's no overdoses, that people can get medical attention when they need it, um, and that they have an environment that's clean enough that to not cause infections, which is one of the leading causes of people dying from drug use. Um, but safe consumption sites also would allow inhalants or any other way that you would consume um, an illicit substance. Um, there's actually at the harm reduction site at the Needle Exchange in the U District, there's actually um, a pod sitting there, a safe injection site that they raised the funds for and were able to acquire. And um, instead of, you know, the, the old adage of doing something and asking for forgiveness, they they went through the proper channels to ask for legislators to create a plan or protocol for uh, managing it and opening it to the public. And unfortunately, um, by doing so, they've delayed being able to open it by now it's about two years. It's been sitting there for for two years. Okay. Um, so this legislation passed um, pretty much unanimously that uh, they would have a safe injection sites or safe consumption sites open uh, along with other services for people that want to decide to, I don't know, uh, get detox services, go into rehab, things like that. And go I ahead. have a, had a kind of a related question, but not so much with uh, drug use, but is um, are there places around town for the homeless to go to shower, use the restrooms uh, or other facilities during the day or? I mean, technically, however, one of the things that was a big topic during the uh, interim process, interim vacancy appointment process, was talking about adding um, hygiene facilities uh, accessible to the homeless population. Um, but it, that's kind of the point is that safe injection sites are safe consumption sites and having hygiene available to the homeless population, which there is a lot of overlap in those populations, um, is paramount to the public health crisis. Right. Um, <laughs> but they want to tackle each individual population as if there's not an intersection. Um, but they're also waiting to, to deploy all of these things. Um, and I think, yeah. I have a question. Let's say <laughs> that the city council had members that were ready to govern, mm -hmm. that were ready to solve homelessness. So this is hypothetical. Hypothetical. Best possible world. <laughs> yeah. What tools does the city council have to um, solve this issue of homelessness? A and budget. Not, and not just here in Seattle, everywhere. So the budget is universal, unanimous. Yeah. Every metropolis has that tool. Yes. Every. And I'd also does. just highlight. The homelessness issue right now is not just Seattle. There's a significant homeless population in Portland, in the Bay Area, in L.A., all up and down the West Coast. Yes. So um, I just kind of wanted to highlight that and mm -hmm. then have you maybe expand on if you wanted to really do something about homelessness on a, in a in a just put people in homes. <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds mean, like how you relieve that problem. Yeah. How the 10% of houses that are unoccupied in Seattle. If, yes. Yeah. If city council wanted to govern mm -hmm. and wanted to put people in homes, mm -hmm. do they have the power to do that? Yes, they do. I mean, that's the simple answer to all of this. They do have the power to do that. They have the funds to do it too, technically. Uh, they don't have the funds for their plan of 100,000 homes in the next 20 years at the moment, um, but they have the power to uh, acquire the funds um, and they decided to rescind their vote on the head tax, the Amazon tax, mm -hmm. which would have paid for that in full. 
So for anyone that's not affiliated, the head tax was a per employee tax that was going to be imposed by the city on C- in Seattle um, on Amazon for their employees. It was actually put on the company itself. And there's a huge hullabaloo. At first, initially, the campaign was amazing. Shama headed the whole campaign. Uh, it passed unanimously. unanimously. And then um, the little weevils that are lobbyists got into city council. And all of a sudden, what was it two months later, a month later, mm-hmm. uh, they had a vote. And only Shama and Teresa Mosqueda voted to keep the head tax. And it would have fully funded all of these programs to combat homelessness in a meaningful way, not just putting up smaller chain link fences. Yes. Um, and part of the problem that that we're facing now is one of the backdoor deals that was made is Amazon said they'd keep another project in the city of Seattle going if we re- if we repealed the head tax. Correct. So if we rescinded it, they would keep that other project. But and- honestly, we should have just decided to keep it going because we cannot provide the housing for the amount of offices that they have. There's no mm-hmm. concurrence planning on creating new office space. Great that you're going to do this huge development that's going to employ a few hundred people in this project. But once those offices are built, how are you going to fill them? And where are they going to fucking live? Yep. And that's part of the homelessness problem that people don't realize. When we say Amazon created the homelessness problem, it's not that they just trucked in people and then bought up all these houses. It's that they brought all these people in and we didn't know what to do with them. And so housing prices, because they're very limited, skyrocketed because nobody planned for that. Yeah, no and one it planned put for that. And, and it also raised the the average you know income in Seattle to an amount that the average person can't do, which is actually what controls the market rate on rental spaces. Mm-hmm. So the people were literally priced out. We act as if uh, the drug epidemic caused all of the homelessness that we are experiencing right now. This was of no fault of their own. They could not, they were, they were, they were, they were um, evicted due to economic reasons. Mm -hmm. It was not because they weren't employed. It's not because they weren't being responsible with their money. It's not because uh, they lost their jobs only. It was because they were priced out because the mean, you know, the average wage in uh, Seattle skyrocketed when they brought in so many people to work for Amazon that were making $100,000 a year. So the person that was making $22,000 a year and was already on public assistance programs and going to the food bank to pay their rents, they were still doing that, but it changed the entire rental market. Yeah, I I was listening to another podcast called, I think, Talk to Seattle, and um, the uh, he one of the guests brought up a point, which was uh, that, you know, even though we have these uh, 12,000 plus homeless uh, folks on the streets here, uh, there's, there's roughly, more. yeah, likely more. Uh, I, I'm assuming these numbers were probably lowballed. Well, yes. And, well, and he just uh, the guest mentioned there's 50,000 uh, housing insecure people who are spending half of their uh, uh, their income or more on rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like you said. That's not a them problem. That's not a lack. These like there are people who get out of tents and put on you know uniforms to go to their jobs yes. today. Yeah. So this uh, is not a this that, are, is, that that were living in their car and are now uh, in the House of Representatives for 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 Washington State. Yeah. Like literally. Yeah. And, and just just for context, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, was talking about building space universes yesterday. Okay, and we're the and we're the delusional ones, right? Get out of here. Just save. And I mean, so to to wrap it back to the so your race was really unique because we have all these problems. But these like I keep saying, these problems are not just Seattle. Seattle's a, a, a microscopic version of what's happening everywhere. nationwide, nationwide yep. in we every are kind major of, city. We set the tone for a lot of things nationwide. Yes, we do. And I mean, so when you were doing this appointment process, can you walk us through what does the appointment process look like? What is it <laughs> for a city council position? And this, I think, is pretty unanimous. So this is a very specific. This is a very this is a very unique situation because um, it's very rare that someone uh, you know devotes their lives to you know civic duty. 
duty and uh, then decides that they don't want to finish their term. Um, unless you were doing it just as a resume builder to get another job um, and to further the uh, agendas of businesses that you were already in um, bed with mm -hmm. before you took the position. Um, and that's the cycle. So uh, when you retire before your term is over, they have a 20-day uh, turnaround period to get the position filled again. Mm -hmm. um, and that's basically the mandate. Um, so Rob Johnson's last day was on the 5th of April. The deadline to apply for the vacancy was 5 p.m. on the 5th of April. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is a tight time. So there was okay. there was definitely like people knew for months that he was probably going to do this right after he led the upzone vote. Um, so there was rumors about it happening, but we didn't know when. Mm -hmm. And then he announced and he had two weeks. Um, but then a week, a week or two before is when they actually started the application process to fill this vacancy. And I found out on Wednesday night of that week, so the third, what I had to do. And within 48 hours had to get my application materials in. Um, then um, they said, okay, there's going to be a public forum and all these orgs that I sign up get to ask you questions at this public forum. It's going to be broadcasted um, and just prepare yourself. But there's there was no way that I really prepare myself. I mean, yeah. They sent us the, the 68 questions beforehand, but I didn't have the time working like 70 hours that week to actually prep for every single question. The how many questions? 68. Okay, 68 but they, questions. But they, but they randomly chose which ones they were actually okay. going to ask, but they told you, oh, any of these questions could be asked. Oh, so you have to prepare for all of them. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and originally there was 15 people that applied. Uh, two of them uh, were disqualified immediately because they weren't actually even in District 4. And, you, and the part of the mm -hmm. rule is that you have to have residency of 120 days in the district to apply and be a registered voter and in the city. Um, so two people were removed at that point. And then uh, the day of the first forum, which was a requirement to continue in the process, only 11 people showed up. So that dropped out another two people. Wow. Um, and the 11 people, uh, we had to do round robin and like random number generator to pick who was going to answer these questions. So we didn't even all get a chance to answer all these questions that we were prepped, prepping for. Oh. Um, and then at the end of that, we had to go on to a hearing uh, in front of the city council, do a three minute presentation um, about why we're applying and basically pose our case um, and then sit at a boardroom like table in front of the city council dais and then they got to ask us questions as much as they would like uh, but you only had a total of seven minutes to answer all of the questions no matter how long they took to ask it or how many questions were asked and then when you ran out of the seven minutes they stopped asking you questions wow interesting and it wasn't all the same questions like they all got to just kind of raise their hand and be like i have a question for this person um and only one person, which is uh, Gonzalez, asked us all the same question. And that was, um, do we have enough money in the budget right now for the 100,000 housing units that are required over the next 20 years as part of the affordable housing that we just passed, uh, MHA? Um, and if not, where would you get it? Um, I, I was extremely disappointed <laughs> in a lot of people's answers to what? every single question <laughs> uh, at the forum and at the uh hearing honestly and i, I what was the uh, what was your answer uh, to that question specifically yeah um no <laughs> <laughs> and let's do the head tax again like amazon tax nice. duh because it would have paid for all of this and we wouldn't be a year behind because it ha happened a year ago or last summer it should have it should have been implemented this year already um so they chose to not be able to fund mha and they chose to not be able to um, house the homeless or deal with the epidemic. Um, it's it was willful. 
this is the what what we're discussing is the power of high dollar lobbyists. And yeah. it's not just lobbyists that are on K Street in DC where our real government is. Uh lobbyists are in every state house, in every state legislature and, and municipally. And in every municipality. Yep. Yep. And so if you had to put your finger on it when Johnson stepped down, what do you think was his motivating factor? For stepping down? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, I didn't really feel like he was engaging the entire community in District 4 while he was in office. Um, but after he led the uh, universal, you know, zoning up zone, like the up zone, like uh, vote, and it was unanimous um, besides the Ave, which is, you know, that street in the district that we haven't figured out what we're doing with yet the um, av what do you what is the av the av is, <laughs> is like the hub of um the tiny city that is the university district um and it has many restaurants and businesses and most of them most of the restaurants are immigrant owned mm-hmm. um and it's kind of a historical landmark in a, in a way because it's like the center of the university district city that's inside of seattle um but they didn't just they didn't vote on upzoning it but they also didn't do any protections of it so right now it is completely um, vulnerable to developers coming in and pushing everyone out. And when so when people hear things like um, upzoning, myself included, before I started doing tax law research for my mobile <laughs> job, I was like taxes and then I would tune everybody out. Um, mm-hmm. So here's a crazy thing. If you live in a city, this terminology of zoning and upzoning matters. So why is upzoning important? Why does that matter? What can that pot? What could the pot- potential be in for the app so, with up- the upzoning bills that were passed? So I guess at the moment, um, what what was why why upzoning was passed is because they're saying that with MHA that it will create enough ha- affordable housing and housing in general to deal with the density issues that we are currently facing in Seattle. However, <laughs> if there if there are no uh, protections of the small businesses that are there or the people that are already there, they mm-hmm. are going to be further displaced. Um, so what what they're doing by not upzoning or voting on upzoning uh, the AV is they're making it so um, everything around it is really valuable and mm-hmm. it's going to be developed, which means that any businesses that want to come in and buy up that land on the AV and just sit on it until um, that is all finished are going to you know turn a huge profit and then be able to basically evict the businesses that are currently in there and monetize the fact that that space is now more valuable, especially now that there's link light rails coming in and stations coming into that neighborhood. Um, so it 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 leaves the entire community that has built the university district vulnerable. Yeah, and so when we look at this stuff happening in the city of Seattle, um, there's a lot. I hear a lot of echoes from folks about how it looks in San Francisco. And would you say that it's pretty, that's an accurate comparison? And this is just yeah. kind of the plague that's going from metropolis to metropolis yeah, right and now? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of responsible and ethical ways to do the upzoning. I just don't think there's enough teeth in the MHA or um, what they decided for the upzoning to actually uh, make it so that people that are being displaced are going to not end up homeless or having to leave the city. And do you, you have any information on uh, some, like some of the empty units, like these companies buy a unit as an investment and then... No, like... I hear a lot of rumors about numbers and percentages uh, about like these new developments and not filling their their spaces. And um, I will, all I know for a fact is what I see. I see that all the new developments coming into my neighborhoods that I walk by and can see that there's still the stickers on the windows, even though they've been open for five years and those spaces are not filled. Interesting. And that what they're being able to do by that is they're going to be able to claim a loss. Mm-hmm. And be okay, like without, like at this point, I feel like they're willfully choosing to outprice um, 
the units, upprice the units so that people can't fill them so that they're able to keep leveraging them while they're waiting for these new transit centers to create, be, be created so that they can get top dollar and even push out the people that are currently in their units. And, yeah. and just to like show how kind of gentrification works through like uh, nuance, um, <laughs> it's very it's it's often a practice uh, to uh, require that someone show, you know, that uh, that they make. Three, three or four times mm -hmm. the amount of the rent of an apartment. And often we're talking 15 to $2,500 mm -hmm. a month for a one bedroom yes. or two bedroom place. And so, you, you know, theoretically, uh, someone would have to prove that they were making uh, 70 or $80,000 a year. Yes. For, for some of these units. Right. And I'm not sure what the median income is. The median of this city. income is between it's 72 or $78,000 a year right now. And that's so. only because we have the most millionaires per capita in, of yeah. any major metropolitan in the world. Yes. It's not, that's not a real figure. People see, like, oh, the median income is $72,000 a year. That's not real. That's right. not, people aren't actually making well, that. It's, There's it's just enough people making way more than that. Yeah, to exactly. It out. Exactly. So yeah. what, they're, what they're able to do basically is, um, push out POC and uneducated folks that aren't able to make a living in the tech industry that we are, metropolitan that we are. Um, so people are also doubling up and like, okay, we're going to rent this studio apartment together so that we can make that amount. But what they're really doing is saying that you don't, you don't belong in our neighborhood. Yeah. This is not a place for you and we don't want you here. That's exactly what's happening. And it's not just isolated here in Seattle. This is a microcosm of what's happening nationwide. And I mean, it's this is an intense discussion, but this is the power of local politics. This is why when you when we talk about things like running for city council, when we talk about things like running for school board. This is why it matters, because it's it's not the federal government that's in charge of these programs. No. It's city council. Right. And so, I mean, you know, Shrey has been incredible coming in to sit and talk with us. And I want to say thank you very deeply for your time and sitting and listening to us ask you a ton of questions from a wide breadth of topics that are near and dear to our hearts and helping us connect this into how, yes, it's just happening in Seattle, but it's also happening. If you live in a metropolis, it's happening to you. If you live in a town, it's happening to you. If you live in a village, it's happening to you. Or Whatever it's about it is, to. It's about you and it's yeah. it's it affects you. And here's the thing. Some people are going to tell you I'm not political. Everybody else around you, all the developers are. So you better get on board and get political. Uh, but Sheree, so final words. I just want to hear from you. What do you what's your piece of advice? What's one thing you learned or a piece of advice from your whole experience that you want to take away? If you could give it back to yourself of a month and a half ago, what would it be? Uh, if you're terrified to get involved or advocate for yourself and you're going up against all of these same problems that your community is facing, uh, that's another reason that you should be doing it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here and talking about the appointment and everything. And we, of course, hope to hear more from you. And I know we'll probably have you back to talk more about other oh, yeah. projects. There's so much stuff I'm doing. There's so, so much to do. Every city is broken and we need people that are willing to step up and face their fear and fight back and fix it. It takes us to fix it because corporations, billionaires are not going to fix it for us. We got to do it. Agreed. Yep. So thank you so much. Appreciate Bill joining me today. And that's our discussion segment. Thank you for sticking around. Thank and we you for will, having uh, me. Of course. Thank it's you awesome. for coming. And we will uh, we'll get tuned back to the regularly scheduled episode. All right.
right. Thank you so much for sticking around through all those heavy topics. And then the uh, the really interesting and informative interview with Sheree LaSalle. They are an amazing person. And Power I'm going to be totally honest. This is our third time through because Sheree uses they, them pronouns. And it's very important to us to take that seriously. And so we are just making sure that we're being cognizant and sensitive. Here's the thing. It costs us nothing to use the correct pronouns for a person. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Do, just do it. Put in so the time. They're going to be back. Um, they're an amazing person. They have a lot to say about a lot of things. And we are very excited because they're going to be coming back to talk about more stuff. So now I want to jump right on into our palate cleanser because that was heavy. That was a lot. Woo. I'm ready for <laughs> some chippies. Woo. So, yeah, what do you have here? This well, is outrageous. It is. And so because because Bill's deathly allergic to dairy and um, will probably explode in many different directions if he eats it. <laughs> yep. We uh, swapped him out for our producer, Jay, who has been kind enough yeah. to jump on a mic. The dairy dip in. Yeah. Uh, he can, we can all do, we're all dairy eaters. And so what we're doing today, this is going to blow y'all's mind because I'm about to explain this to you and you'll be like, wait, there's dairy in that. Please read your labels. Um, so we have my partner, Jay and I, who's now our, our extra fourth voice here, went to a um, unique market in a plaza we love next to our favorite Szechuan place. And we found some chips with crazy flavors we've never heard of before. And so we decided to grace all of you with these amazing flavors we have before us. We have cucumber flavor. We have Grilled squid flavor. Can you read the actual what they say they are, or are you? Oh, this is what they say. They oh, that is what they are. Okay, because I was like, that's these, two, that um, these yeah. two are my favorite. We have Italian red meat flavor. Mm. Is it? It says flavor, and then numb and spicy hot pot, <laughs> which I'm not sure what that means. And I just want to note that we are going to do that one last because we aren't sure if it's going to make our mouths numbing. It's one of the things that the, you know, our executive producer mm-hmm. needs to say to mm-hmm. us, you know, hey, uh, you got the corn worn that mm-hmm. uh, you want to be able to taste all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, frankly, as a purveyor of fine, spicy goodness, Ooh. that's what I'm known around my house as. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I'm excited for it. I've never had numb spicy. I mean, I've had stuff mm-hmm. so spicy and numb my mouth, but this is. I'm excited. Jay this looks delightful. used to enjoy putting four habaneros and six serranos in his chili. And when I couldn't eat it, he's like, I don't understand why you can't eat it. Because I want to taste the food I'm eating. <laughs> can, can I just say you were so polite to me, though? You definitely I ate, ate it, it anyway. times. Yeah. That's so how I nice wonder, I am. I'm a good partner. And I wonder if the spice that they're referring to. So, um, I mean, no big deal. Having been to China a few times, um, <laughs> there is something that's called the Sichuan pepper. Um, and it's got, uh, it's a key ingredient to the hot pot. It's like a little, what well, looks like a uh, pepper you'd grind in the pepper grinder, you know, normal pepper, but you put it in and it's got, it's sour and numbing. Oh, well. For me, I mean, even like toothpaste is spicy. So <laughs> I, I'm scared. Corn's like, yeah. there's too much ginger in my cookie yeah. butter. We do give yeah. you a lot of uh, crap for, I almost said gumption. <laughs> we usually give you a lot of gumption. I don't even think that's the right word. But uh, Go use your rotary telephone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but. Uh, Maybe you'll leave a voicemail. You kind of eat like a toddler. Yeah, 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 that's true. I love chicken nuggets. Yeah, yeah she yeah. loves her some nugs. Pop so we are going to lead with cucumber flavor. This is the one I am most interested in because I love cucumber it's been stuff. so hot. I'm like, this kind of sounds good. So I'm going to hand everybody the cup we've put these in to avoid bag crinkle on the mic. And so you all, y'all take a cheap. 
Can I take a can, sniff? Can I make a special request? Can we all do this together at once? Yeah. yeah. With like a singular crunch. Ooh, I crunch like that idea. I can do right. that for you. We're going to not do the crunch in the microphone, or are we just going to be like... A thousand crunches. If we do it away from the mics, but together, it may be loud enough. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. A synchronized yeah. when I yeah. When I smell it, it smells like cucumber. It okay, does have so a cute, yeah. On three, two, one chip, okay? Three, two, one chip, Wait, and three, then you eat two, it. one chip. And yeah. then you eat okay. it. All right. On chip. Yeah. On chip, you eat it. <laughs> Three, yeah, three two, two, one, chip. chip. Oh. 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 No. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, no. I kind of like it. So it, it's it tastes, yeah. it tastes yeah. it, it, it's weirdly sweet. Mm-hmm. It's got a cucumber-esque, I'll put uh. quotes around flavor. Um, it's, it's a little Oh, craw. the aftertaste is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the aftertaste is hurting. It is like. That is, Somebody no. is shouting cucumber at my mouth. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> this is yeah. I like oh, it. Oh no! I, I didn't. I don't hate it. Could I eat a bag of? I would eat a bag. Should I? Here Probably you go. Not. It's right here. Blah. No. I, I've never wanted a crispy what? cucumber. No, I don't that. enjoy that. No. I don't want my potatoes to taste like I cucumber. That's what I learned. That, that umami uh, thing. Like no. that. This is this is more of an ew. Where's my mommy? Like this. Oh. Is have you had the dill flavor? It's very close to that. It very is close. A little, yeah, uh, not quite as powerful as the mm-hmm. dill. Yeah. No, I feel like it's a bit, more powerful. A bit pickly. Uh, no. Well, we're going to, I desperately need to move yeah, maybe. on from this. So <laughs> you, need, you're like, I okay. desperately need a new so, flavor. Squid? Our next flavor is the grilled squid flavor. Oh. <laughs> I am the least excited about this one. I am because second most yeah. excited for this. I hate seafood. Oh. Well, I don't hate it. But I'm shocked it's not every time I hear that. I know. Me I, too. And I yeah. we've been together for seven years. It smells yeah. like barbecue chip. Oh. Yeah. It smells <laughs> oh, like I noticed you took a very like small fish, one. Actually. It <laughs> does. It has a little bit of like like somebody seasoned seaweed. <laughs> yeah. You all right? No, I'm dying from yeah. that cucumber chip. Well, oh we'll no. get ready for some squid. Oh good. Mm. Better yeah. Yeah, quick. <laughs> Better left this. to squid. Get the squid dust. Aren't you glad All right, you after, I chi- after I chip-shamed Jay, he grabbed a bigger piece. Oh, I did. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I did. My masculinity <laughs> hangs on this chip, so. That's true. I, you can't out-alpha me. All right. <laughs> and I have the baby chip. Oh, it's just appropriate. All right, three, two, one, chip. Ready? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay, God, okay. no. Okay. Too excited for this one. All right, three, three two, two, one, one chip. Uh-uh. Not a flavor I like. Just make it end. Just drink. Just I don't care. It's awful. Why is there so much squid? It was so you, if you, oh. you put it in your mouth, you get a, a taste of of like burnt, and then like it's it tastes like you know when you get those cup noodles and there's that dried shrimp in there, that one lone dried shrimp in the yeah yeah. That's it, and that has a smell. That's what it tastes like. It's the smell, yeah. Oh, it's got a spice too. Yeah, it's a little bit of spice. De- I taste more charcoal and grill than I do squid. Yeah. I let it touch my tongue, and then I felt really sick, so I just swallowed it whole. <laughs> I've heard that before. Uh, but you've heard of that technique. I, yeah. I will yeah. say uh, this is my least favorite flavor I've ever had. However, it was not as bad as I expected. It it's bad. not the least. It's not my least favorite flavor that I've tasted out of China. But it's not a pleasant flavor. What is your least favorite flavor that you ever, or do you just not know? Someone just no, I do know, and it's durian. 
Oh, yeah. We almost tried to find like durian wafers to bring to I you just, guys. I just don't know that. I, I think know. Troy would have thrown us out. So it's a giant fruit that is spiky. And when it falls out of trees, it kills people. Oh. You open it up and it smells like somebody hmm. um, gathered a bunch of pubes, threw um, some gasoline on it, lit it on fire and put it out with cat urine. Yeah, right. that's exactly how it smells. And I, it's creamy. I had a roommate who <laughs> had a sense of smell that was much like Wolverine's. In fact, we used to call him Wolverine. <laughs> Because of his sense of smell. And so we got into a war with durian cream wafers. Oh, oh yeah. I was there Sarah, for that. Sarah was around at that time. I think I actually um, was a facilitator of the durian. I think that was actually yeah. me. I, I think we did talk <laughs> a, a little bit about job. this. Yeah. I, yeah. I did that. This has been a thing Sarah and I have done throughout our entire relationship <laughs> is go to Chinese markets or go to import markets. And so I hid the wafers under his pillow. Oh, you cruel people. The same night he was bringing a lady friend over. Oh. Fact. <laughs> and so he stuffed them in my truck when I was away for in, a weekend. In now, Arizona they, in the middle of summer. Are they, so everyone knows. Are they they're a wafer with durian cream inside? Yeah, or, oh, durian yeah. flavored cream. Yeah. Yeah. I almost got fired from a job because I then took them to that job place and left them out for people to try. Oh, <laughs> so well, just a real quick uh, anecdote. Uh, I went to uh, Shanghai uh, and I found and I, I was introduced to durian, but I had smelled it before it came, and I'm like, "There's a gas leak in here." <laughs> I really did. We're gonna die, and they laughed because they knew what was coming. The uh, um, but I brought back a giant bag because I uh, traveling when you work at a video game studio, you do a lot of traveling, and so I'd like to bring back a little uh, a little gift from the countries that Ooh. I go to for everyone in the studio. So I brought back you know, 150 pieces of delicious durian candy, Ooh. but didn't tell anybody. And then people would send me a note saying that's durian, and I said, "Don't you reply all? <laughs> I will come to your office and I will do something durian like." <laughs> and it was yeah, I didn't almost get fired, but I did lose some friends. That's fine. So we're moving on to our our next one, which is my the I just love its title. It's the Italian red meat flavor, uh, and yeah. on, it looks like there's a bowl of chili surrounded by a bunch mm. of potato chips on the front bag. If you check the Instagram at Sarah Smith, the number four WA, we've posted a photo of these bags. So. so yeah, is it like a chili or a pasta sauce or just a mystery meat? We are about to find out. Yeah. Can I just clarify? This is the one I'm the most excited for. Yeah. That's how I know I'm just a little overweight, a little chubby because I looked I'm at that and I was like, that looks so damn good mm-hmm. i'm in it's i'm in i took sauce. two i took I two chips know. you yeah. did yeah no wow man. dang i got a big chippy for i got song. a medium sized chip i got a pretty decent it's a yeah nice, it's a saturated chip. Good. we got this yeah. yeah all right let's okay. do this thing Where's three two one chip why is it so sweet mm. no i love it i didn't expect it i love but it it's Leave. fine yeah <laughs> It's so good. I'm in. I'm it, all in. Why the sweetness of all the chips? I'm not really sure why. Yeah. They're all very sweet in their own way. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna Jay's have another. More. Okay, Jay's eating more of them. But yeah. if if you ate this without knowing what it was, you would not think it's meat sauce. No, it's a I weird, sweet, really, savory. I know this is a bolognese sauce on the front, and I make a pretty damn good bolognese, oh, and I love does that. not taste favorite. like this. Yeah. This is like the Italian god. The Pope kissed <laughs> Each me on chip. the mouth with angel oh. lips, and I love it. Or you like took a long kiss and a lick of his ring. Oh, all right, we're passing yes. around our our fine. I just am really excited to get here. I'm like trying to rush us I'm along. Really, so we get yeah, here. I'm really impressed with the variations in mm-hmm. uh, texture. Um, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. These are these are small uh, ridged ones. Uh, we had some wide whale ridge. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, some, we got some, some flat some chips. Classics. Yeah. Some classic yeah. flats. Classic, yeah. classic <laughs> structure chips. So this is the numb nope, and spicy. I don't like it. Numb and smells spicy. It smells like it smells numb and spicy. Oh, it smells like yeah. cat urine. Really? I didn't yeah, it, it, does. Like it does. Yeah. Numb yeah. and spicy cat urine. It smells like an herb to me for sure. Yeah, it smells like oregano. That's that's litter I box. Know, like. <laughs> that's weird that you why do you spend so much time smelling your cat's litter box? <laughs> um, well, because Teacher's a big boy and he's got a lot of litter box use. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this. I am looking forward to this a lot. All right. I am stoked. Are we ready? <laughs> Let's do this thing. Three, Three two, two, one, one chip. chip. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. oh, that's spicy. I got the, yeah, I got the Szechuan. I got the spicy. I love it. This should be an American flavor. I love this. You know, wait, I love the flavor smell? of it and holy spicy God. Okay, now wait for the aftertaste because that's yeah, when you get the, the numb. The numb. I feel it. On really? my tongue. What they removed was the, there's a sourness that comes with those. It, well, I say sour, but it's really more of a metallic. You don't feel that? Have you ever this. tasted a fork that has oh. like touched tinfoil and it has a metal taste to it? That's what the thing. Oh, I got the numb. Yeah, there it is. There oh, it is. Yeah. Corn is like <laughs> silently rocking around in her chair. Like, she wow. I I'm eating another this. one. This is my favorite. Actually. I don't hate it. Do we, uh, do we judge? Yeah, so it didn't taste bad. It's just my, I did not my like mouth the first taste. Feels funky now. It's weird. It's a weird mouth I, after yeah. feeling. Yeah, which is not normally what. Mm-hmm. No, and, and it's light no. compared to the actual kernels. And I've got some upstairs. I should bust them out. Oh man, mm. lovely. I need that. Some kernels. So I think my least my least favorite flavor was the cucumber. Uh, Disappointed. My least favorite was the squid fo show. I just don't know why it tasted so like burning. It tasted like charcoal. The squid is hot trash. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm with Jay on the- Cucumber is hot garbage. Yeah. I think, good. honestly, I think the Italian red meat flavor is my second least favorite flavor. Wow. Grilled squid is my third least favorite. And the numb and spicy is my fourth. I liked Wait, the so grilled squid. The I liked okay. the squid more than I liked the red meat flavor. Yeah, I'm red meat. Team red meat. Team red meat, that's you. Team Italian red meat. Team red, red mystery meat. meat. <laughs> I'm team squid. Well, team hot squid. That's what I am. My palate is numb. Yeah, but corn is ad- adventuring out into the wide world yeah. of food with us. Yeah. This has literally nothing to do with any topic we discussed today, but uh, but it's good. Yeah, it's worldly. It is. Expose yourself to these things. I deeply encourage anybody that's listening to go out to a, a local international or import market and find something weird and eat it. It's You will shock yourself. And the thing I tell people is try anything twice. Everyone says, I'll try anything once. That is nonsense. Try anything twice. I say the first three time, times. Yeah, even three times is better than that. But yeah. first time, twice. you don't know if you like it. Second twice. time, you're prepared and you know for sure if you like it or not. Well, like, and the third time you just want to make double sure, and then the fourth yeah. time you're like, I don't know, do I really? Need to keep <laughs> and then doing it's it? just self-flagellation, and it's you've eaten a whole bag of numb and spicy chips. I feel like if we eat more of these chips, we'll have some self-flagellation. Oh boy, the... I don't. Yeah. Yep, that's the right word. Okay, Feels good. like it. And so, if you have any ideas for us for funky foods we should eat or other palate cleansers, you can let us know at Twitter. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, you can uh, get Sarah. Sarah, you're at. I'm at Sarah Smith, the number four WA. And I'm easy. I'm at 
meta underscore Troy. And I know, Jay, you've got one as well. I do. It's uh, Nobody follows me, so please mm-hmm. be that. I have three followers. That's a long name. Yeah, but you no, didn't no. follow me. So. I did today. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you are followed by Hey, me. I'm sorry. We've already arbitrated Ooh. this between Sarah and I, and mm-hmm. it's been settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. And I don't understand this feeling of not being followed, so. But I still don't follow <laughs> Troy. Mine is the better left, like the name of our podcast. Yeah. The better left, the number two, Jay. Because oh, I'm awesome. The I number like two. I was looking up T O and mm. I couldn't find you. Um, I'm better left corn. So there you go. Yeah. So jump in, slide into our DMs with some of your amazing suggestions. I think next episode we're gonna be doing Mad Libs. Ooh. Because who doesn't love a good Mad Lib? I like Mad Libs. Yeah. But uh this about wraps up our episode. So the our our call to action for all you guys is if you live in a state where you are unhappy and upset and angry about these abortion laws that have been passed stand up and do something and whether that something is volunteering on a campaign donating to a campaign donating to an org volunteering with an org or running for office yourself women run for office but what we got to do is we got to come together and fight back because there's no half there's no middle of the road on this no and there are central here and there are a lot of people right now that are assembling to support people in need so Share your story about needing support, and people are waiting. People are like the, you know, they're talking the Underground Railroad. They're talking anything to to help and protect and preserve, um, you know, women's. Yep. And uh, next week we're going to be having our our next week's episode is going to have an an uh, interview with the amazing local uh, peaceful protest activist leader who is just an incredible person. Her name is Tay Phoenix. She is a musician. She's incredible. She is the the featured musician at so every rally. I think she's incredible. She's awesome. She's great. She's been doing this forever. Um, so we're going to have her voice talking about what that's like, what it means to be a local activist, what it means to participate in civil protest, um, and why she's a big believer in in peaceful protest. And after that we're going to be talking to some city council candidates about what it's like to be a city council candidate uh tammy morales out of district two and her opponent ari hoffman um that about wraps us up for this episode i just want to say thank you to bill and corn and troy for helping me out with all this thank you to andres for stepping up and doing production and thank you to jay for doing both production and stepping up to eat terrible chips with us thank you they were terrible i love them (laughs) my name is sarah smith and thank you so much for catching us on the better left podcast because we all here know that sometimes it's better left to you Bye. 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 Bye.